Good morning. Let's pray. God, you are good. And um, help us believe what we just sang. Help us, God, we, we believe. Help us believe, God, that you are good and that you are loving, that you are the firm foundation and that those who have faith in you cannot be shaken that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that your mercies are new today, that you will see us all the way home and that you are with us um, in any storm or trial that you might bring us to, that you'll bring us through whatever you bring us to. And Lord, I'm a beggar in need of grace this morning. Uh, Lord, I just uh, so desire to submit to your spirit and submit to your word and pray, God, that you would use your living and holy an active and transforming word to do a work in my heart and each of our hearts. God, I pray that, that we would have fertile soil, God, and that you would implant um, your word deep into our hearts and that we would know more of your mercies. We'd know more of your love, more of your justice, and we'd be compelled by all of that to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourself. We pray, God, that you be honored and glorified and that we would be edified. And we pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. And God's people said, amen. amen. So we are, um, as Lynette just read in Luke chapter 10, a very, another well-known section of scripture about a, a true story about two women named uh, Mary and Martha. And uh, this has been, I've probably read well, I've read four commentaries and listened to a couple sermons, and it's all over the board as to what people want to make this about. But in its truest context, um, it is really uh, about one thing, and it's the one thing that's necessary. The one thing that is necessary, the good portion that if, um, if, um, if engaged, if sought after, will bring great joy and satisfaction um, in our pursuit of living out the law of love, the great commandment. I want to just give you a high-level review. If you missed us, missed us last week, we, um, I taught on the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And um, it is online. It's, uh, the, the sound is a bit wonky, but you can get through it. Um, but I want to just give you a high-level uh, overview because today's passage is really part two uh, to um, the Good Samaritan. Luke doesn't have everything in chronological order, but he does order things in order to really bring home his point, the point that he wants his readers to... Um, to um, adhere to. So last week we saw uh, Jesus' brilliant response to an expert of the law who asked him the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What a great question. The best question that any human being could ever answer. And then Jesus turned the tables on the man and he, asked the man, he answered the question with a question. And he asked the expert of the law, what does the law say? What does the law say? Um, how does the law answer your question, how do I inherit eternal life? And the answer, the lawyer answered correctly. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus gave an illustration, an illustration that we know as the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in this parable, you know it, if you are here last week, you heard it again, but it's, it's a parable where two men, two religious men, a Levite and a priest, walk by, literally walk over a man who has been robbed, beaten, and left for dead. 
And then Jesus introduces the hero of the story um, in this parable, the good Samaritan, who saw the dying man, went out of his way, and served this man in a pretty radical manner. When Jesus was done making his point with the parable, he asked a convicting question to the expert of the law. He said, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the expert of the law answered rightly. He said, the one who showed the robbed, beaten, dead man mercy. The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus responded, you go and do likewise. The call, therefore, from the parable of the Good Samaritan is for you and me to go and do likewise, not to um, earn anything, but to extend mercy in others, to love others more than we love ourselves because we have been loved completely and forever by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the call is for you and me to be a neighbor who extends mercy to the helpless and hopeless in whom God has providentially put in our path, and to serve and love others as Christ the Good Samaritan has served and loved us. The call is simply to go and live out the law of love, loving God and loving people. Today, Dr. Luke is going to give us a convicting true life account that will be a heart check It has been for me. It's going to be a heart check for all of us in our serving and loving others. It's going to be a heart check in our desire to live out the law of love. Today, we're going to see that many things are important, but only one thing is necessary. Yes, living out the law of love by serving others is super important, but only one thing is necessary. In this true story, we're going to see the principle of good, better, and best. And I would submit to you that either consciously or unconsciously, you are continually thinking through that daily. Like, what's good? How should I spend my time? Who should I spend my time with? That's good. What's better? What's best? And I would submit to you what's what's happening in this passage today is that Jesus is encouraging Martha and therefore us to pursue that which is best and even setting aside that which is good. We're going to see today that there are many good endeavors, but only one thing is necessary. And this true story is mostly about ordering our busy lives with that one most necessary thing. So how do you know when your priorities are out of order And you care about the good things more than the one thing that is necessary. It's going to be answered today. We have a neighbor. I'm not going to tell you which house or which neighborhood. But this particular guy spends his life um, rearranging things in his garage and cars in his driveway. And my response to him is like every time I say, hey, like fill in the blank, how you doing? Busy, 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 just busy. And I want to see his calendar because I don't know that anything like moving this car is busy. (laughs) But when I ask you and you ask me, oftentimes our response is, how you doing? 
I'm busy. I'm not sure that that's the way to live our life. The, the reality is we should be honest and vulnerable with one another. We are busy, probably too busy, but are we too busy to prioritize the one thing that is necessary? There are many good things that I invest my time and resources in. My wife, my kids, my grandkids, my calling and job as a pastor, um, creating a business or ministry plan for this next season of my life, building relationships with those who don't know Jesus. Those are hard to argue that those aren't good things, right? Generally speaking, I want to be a blessing to those God has providentially placed in my path. Ultimately, I desire to live out the law of love, the great commandment where I live, work, and play. I'm sure I'm not alone in this, but have you ever genuinely desired to selfishly serve others? The answer to that is yes, you have, and you do, many of you do, and then seemingly out of nowhere, the walls of busyness start to close in. You feel all alone in your serving, and your heart attitude changes from a, a joyful zeal to live out the great commandment and bless others as you've been blessed to a complaining, low-level bitterness. You ever been there? Are you walking in today? Maybe with that attitude, not even knowing it. You see, when we continually order our lives and prioritize the good things that are driven by the tyranny of the urgent, rather than the one necessary thing we will hit a wall. And for some of us, that, that wall is further out than others, but we will hit a wall. However, I submit to you once again that, that you will experience increasing joy and less complaining and diminishing bitterness when we choose and prioritize the one necessary thing. In the same way that an athlete bonks, you know what bonk means? It means that, that, that you hit a wall. Uh, an athlete or a runner who isn't uh, properly fueled or nursed um, goes out and there's, there's a wall that he, he bonks, he or she bonks when, um, when they run out of the right nutrition or um, food to keep them going. But in the same way that an athlete bonks when he's not ingested the right food and drink are serving others' needs... Our serving others needs to be fueled with the right food in order for us to joyfully serve and not become distracted, anxious, and troubled in this race called life. Um, as we're talking right now, our good friend and body part, Josh Bruffel, is running the Leadville 100. And I've been like tracking him. He's like, he keeps making the cutoffs. If you don't hit the right cutoff, um, you're done. You don't get to finish the race. And the last I saw, he hit the right cutoff. But he put on, I think it was on Facebook, this, this, this table full of like snacks that if he, if he goes out on this run without the right um, salt, the right balance of salt in his system and the right nutrition and all that, he's going to bonk. So there's, a, there's one thing that is necessary for him before he goes out and runs. So today we're going to be encouraged and corrected by the gentle and loving words of Jesus that only one thing is necessary 
He calls it the good portion that won't be taken away. And this good portion is the food that fuels us to joyfully live out the law of love. Because that's the sweet spot where God wants us. Not just loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbors ourselves, but being able to persist in that with joy. I've structured this short sermon, this short passage in four parts. First, the context or the setting, verses 38 and 39. Next is the complaint, Martha's complaint in verse 40. Verse 41 is Jesus' correction or his rebuke to Martha. And then verse 42, um, Jesus' instruction or counsel to Martha. I, I would have just used setting, complaint, rebuke, instruction, but like I like all these young guys are coming up here and everything like rhymes and fits and starts with the right letter, so I feel like I need to get my, up my game. So you got context, complaint, correct, and counsel. It's proof that you can get better and creative as you get older. Verse 38, now as they went on their way, um, Jesus and his disciples are continuing. Remember, they're on the road to Jerusalem. That Jesus has set his face to Jerusalem where he is going to lay down his life willingly for the sins of the world. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So Jesus is continuing this journey and he enters this village. And we know this village is Bethany. Because we see it in John chapter 10, 11, and 12, and it's, it's, it's the hometown of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And, um, and it's a suburb of Jerusalem. Um, in John 10, upon hearing that Lazarus was gravely ill, remember that? That Jesus got word that his friend Lazarus was dying. John wrote this, Now Jesus loved Martha, and her sister, and Lazarus. Why do I tell you that? Because these women are believers, that they love Jesus, and Jesus loves them. Mary and Martha were sisters from the womb, and they were also sisters in Christ. And then John, in John 11, after Lazarus had in fact died, and Jesus finally showed up on the scene, Martha expressed her faith in Jesus in a profound manner. manner. Listen to this, John 11, 21-27. Martha, first of all, Martha ran to greet Jesus. Uh, Mary's still back at the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's a statement of faith. She believed that Jesus could have saved her brother's life. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Martha? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. These ladies had a deep, deep faith And they were also dear friends of Jesus. And it seems as though every time Jesus came through Bethany, do you have friends like this? Every time they come through northern Colorado, you get the phone call. Can I stay with you? You're such good friends. And that's the kind of friends that Jesus was with Mary, Martha, and uh, their brother, Lazarus. We see in this opening verse, we see Martha welcoming Jesus into their home. And then 
And then in John chapter 12, we see the same thing. Martha welcomes Jesus and prepares and serves dinner to Jesus. Martha is living out the law of love. She's living out the great commandment by serving and loving Jesus. For Martha, it was probably easy for her to have people in her home. Do you know people like that? They, it's easy. She was probably the type that would, would use the expression um, in Hebrew, however you say it, mi casa su casa. Like, my house is always open to you. Especially when it was Jesus. Martha seemed to have the gift of hospitality or service. And as often occurs with siblings, her sister Mary probably had opposite gifting. Opposite and complementary gifting. In this opening scene, we see Martha welcoming Jesus. And we see Mary sitting, listening, and learning to, from Jesus. Both were doing what came easiest to them. Martha welcomed and served, and Mary listened and learned. I have a feeling that Martha was one who wanted everything to be great for the guests, and Mary could care less that the dishes sat in the sink for two days and the clothes were in the dryer for two days mildewing. With that said, the main point of this episode in Luke, in Luke <clears throat> is not spiritual gifts. It's not hospitality. The thrust of this passage is to encourage Christians to prioritize the one necessary thing, to choose the portion, the good portion, that will not be taken away. Many who have taught this passage have demonized Martha. They said, don't be a Martha, be a Mary. However, as you will see, Jesus doesn't have a problem with Martha being Martha. He made her that way. He created her that way. Her welcoming and serving are not being questioned or corrected in this passage. What's being addressed is that she is distracted and anxious and troubled in much serving. Mary seems to go from, uh, Martha, excuse me, seems to go from welcoming to serving to distraction in her service to complaining. And I think if we're honest, we all have lived on that line of trajectory. Verse 40. But Mary, excuse me, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Here's what it means in Greek. Martha's miffed at Mary. When things don't go well, do you find yourself like Martha, wanting to blame and get mad at others? Martha found herself consumed and distracted with much serving. Look at the verse. Much serving is what consumed her and distracted her. She was literally over-occupied and too busy in her serving. You see, Martha was a whirlwind. She was running around in circles, it seemed, and it seems that she bit off more than she can chew. She may have been overoccupied with having everything just perfect. She may have had a picture of what a perfect evening would look like. Five courses coming off the fire at the right time, setting a beautiful table with the right light, and then sitting down, finally, with Mary and listening and learning from Jesus. But when things didn't quite go according to her plan, she lost it. 
being eaten up with worry and concern about the meal, she lost her focus, she lost the right posture in her serving, and she lost her cool. Again, have you ever been in that place? With the best of intentions, you're doing what you're called to do. Ladies, endless laundry, poopy diapers, driving kids to and forth, bath time. Nobody seems to appreciate your efforts, and you're certainly not getting any help. You haven't spent time with Jesus, the living word, in days, if not weeks. Help. Men, this is for us as well. Getting up and going to work, helping with homework, coaching kids sports, underappreciated and overworked by your employer. No quiet at home and no rest for the weary. Like Martha, we could be so distracted in just keeping the plates spinning that when one plate falls, when we become, uh, when we, and when we, when we become distracted and things don't go according to our plan and our timing, when things don't go according to our plan and our timing, we lose it. That's what happens next. Martha directs her frustration at Mary, and she, put, she, she complains with a question and a command to Jesus. Yikes. She says, do you not see and care that I'm serving alone? Do you see the smoke? Do you hear the broken plates and the crying kids? Martha doesn't wait and listen for Jesus' response. She asks the question, do you not care? And before he can respond, she barks out a command and says, tell her then to help me. I'll say it again. Most of us start out with a good attitude. We're happy to serve and live out the law of love. But then the heat gets turned up. There ends up being more to do than we thought. Not a help from others. Not enough help from others. Things don't go according to plan. And then we bring our complaint to the Lord. Don't you care? Don't you see me, God? I need help. We see these type of complaints all throughout the Psalms. So I just want to give a side note here. And ladies, you're going to be studying the... um, the Psalms of Lament, I think, or just Lament in the fall. And Lament is something that we don't understand well or do well as Christians. Because um, Lament, a third of the Psalms are Lament Psalms. And there's a whole book called Lamentations. And what lamenting, biblical lament is, is that we, um, that it's actually a complaint. Like, God, do you not see me? Do you not care? But a biblical lament or complaint always ends in praise. Look at the lament psalms there that that David is just crying out, God, do you not see me? Protect me from my enemies. Where are you? And then he always ends up, you are faithful. You are good. My hope is in you. 
And when we complain, it should always be with a posture to want to hear the Lord. Habakkuk is another one that he complained, but he inclined his ear to the Lord. He complained because he wanted an answer. He didn't want to just stay in his misery. The Lord invites you and me to be, uh, to be honest in our expression of pain, to be honest with our trials and our frustration. And he wants to correct your thinking and teach you to serve with joy and to choose a better portion. So that's what Jesus does next. He gives a gentle and loving correction in verse 41, and then he gives wise and perfect counsel in verse 42. Verse 41, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Martha just complained and then commanded Jesus to do something. There was straight up frustration and disrespect, disrespect for the creator and the savior of the world. But I want you to hear Jesus' response. And I want you to imagine Jesus' countenance. Jesus repeats her name, Martha, Martha. In, re in repeating her name, he does a couple of things. First, he gets her attention. But I think more importantly, he calms her anxious heart by expressing tender affection to her. He's not angry, but he brings gentle and loving correction to her. He says, Martha, Martha. And parents, brothers and sisters, this is, this is instructive for us in our, in our um, reproof or correction of our kids, of our spouse, of one another in the church. And it, will, it would do us well to imitate Jesus' loving reproof of Martha. It's always easier for someone to hear our correction or our reproof when the reprover is not angry and the one being reproved knows that we are correcting them because we love them. And it's for their benefit. Try this. Next time, moms and dads, one of your children complains about the food and commands for you to get them mac and cheese. You take their face in your hands. No, you don't do that. You take their, their face in your hands and you say, little Oliver, Callahan, Marion, Ambrose. You are anxious and out of line. And I love you, but you are not to speak to mommy and daddy that way. Lovingly and gently reprove them, not with disgust or anger, that you always do this, you never do that, but with loving and gentle concern. And then after repeating her name, Jesus now corrects her with the observation that she is anxious and troubled about many things. Mary lost her focus and, the pur and her purpose, and therefore when we lose our focus and our purpose in serving, we also lose our joy in serving. To be anxious and troubled is to be occupied or over-concerned with secondary things. 
It rises up when our plans and our timing don't go our way and we are out of control. Don't miss this. Jesus isn't admonishing her in her service for serving. He's correcting her heart attitude in her serving. Jesus then, as we're going to see in verse 42, redirects her anxious anxious heart with a life-giving word of instruction. Even gentle and loving correction without counsel or instruction is exasperating. We can't just point out what the person did wrong. We've got to help them live in accordance what God is asking them to do. We see this in verse 42. I'm sorry. I've got a loud voice. I know I do. It's not me. What's his name? Alex. Alex, Alex. Love it. Jesus now gives Martha counsel after correcting her. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And we see several things here in this short passage. We see that Jesus says one thing is necessary. We see that Martha chose that one thing necessary. He calls it the good portion. And then we see that the good portion won't be taken away. After Jesus said that one thing is necessary, Martha might have had an initial thought that, yeah, one thing is necessary, and that that Martha or Mary get up off her seat and help out. But then Jesus said to Martha that Mary has chosen the good portion, the one thing that is necessary. She has her priorities in order. Martha's serving is good, but she is caught up with much serving that led, led to a frustrated and bitter heart. Yes, someone needs to prepare dinner. Someone needs to do the laundry. Somebody needs to go to work. But Martha had lost the truth that her service must be rooted first and foremost in the priority of, and joy of knowing God as her treasure and her pleasure. You see, the aim of serving is rooted in the law of love. Loving God and loving people in response, though, to, uh, to the love of God. When, we're, when, we are, when we have our priorities straight, um, we are serving others as an overflow of God's service and love to us. Let me ask you this morning, are you experiencing joy and peace in your serving? Or do you have a growing bitterness and resentment in serving others? Just be honest with yourself. We all go there. And it's, it's symptomatic. It's a, it's a light on the dashboard that something isn't quite right. And that it's symptomatic that, that possibly you're neglecting the one necessary thing, the good portion. And what the good portion is, simply, it's the Lord Jesus himself. It's his grace. It's his strength. It's time sitting at his feet, listening and learning from him. In choosing the good portion, we're reminded of his love. 
We're reminded of his sovereignty and his all-sufficient grace that will translate into an increasing and genuine peace and joy even when our plans fail. The word portion echoes many Old Testament texts. Chad read one this morning from Leviticus. And in these Old Testament texts, it says that the Lord is the portion of his people. Psalm 73. The psalmist cries out, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. What the psalmist is saying, that I desire more of you than I do for my plans to go exactly right. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Everything else in the world is going to fail us, including our health. But God's grace and strength will never fail us. Our serving, whether it be the daily mundane or the exciting missions trip, must flow out of our relationship with the Lord and his love for us. In our relationship with the Lord, like any other relationship, this is a principle of relational activity, that relational growth, that this relationship with the Lord is cultivated by sitting and listening and learning. It's by feasting on the bread of life. Physically speaking, if you don't take calories into your bodies, you will not grow and flourish. In your day-to-day activities, you will become more tired and joyless and crabby. When I, like, forget breakfast and don't eat lunch and it's midday, like 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm going, like, what, am I depressed or anxious? No, I haven't eaten. I haven't eaten, like, 24 hours. In the same way, when we don't feast on God's word, we will become increasingly selfish, joyless, and bitter. We will give in to our flesh rather than submitting to the spirit. And you know what? This is a hard truth. It's a hard truth for me. It's a choice. Mary chose the good portion. It's not a choice between getting your work done and serving. And it's not, it's not a choice between getting your work done and serving others or sitting with Jesus. It's a matter of order and priority. That's the point here. I don't want to be legalistic about this, but it really is a matter of joy, peace, and satisfaction. Choosing the only necessary thing first will empower joyful service for the glory of God and the good of others. Let me give you a couple of Psalms just to chew on. Psalm 16. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Even when things aren't going well, according to your plan or your timing, you can be reminded that, that, that you can choose God as your portion because he has already chosen you as his portion. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night Also, my heart instructs me. This is a heart that is instructed by the word of God. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy. 
At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 119. It's an amazing psalm all about God's word and the sufficiency of God's word. The psalmist says, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. You see that? I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let them not be put to shame. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. So the prayer is God, enlarge my heart. Cause me to hunger and thirst after righteousness, hunger and thirst after your word. And then he finishes out in verse 57. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. Brothers and sisters, we need to choose the good portion. We need to set time aside. That being here on Sunday is so important. Being part of a community group is so important, particularly if it's a community group that is feasting on the, uh, the main dish of the Word of God. But you were not designed to live from Sunday to Sunday, uh, feasting on Sunday in God's Word, and then showing up again on Sunday. That truth leaks. That we can't survive on day-old bread forever that we experience the most joy by tasting the good and fresh and hot and and good-smelling bread of the Word of God on a regular basis. Choose a good portion. Set time aside. I know some of you ladies, especially young ladies, are just going like, is he out of touch? (laughs) How old did you say you were? Have you had your grandkids for any period of time? You might be saying, I have endless laundry. I do have poopy diapers. I have food prep, dishes to put away, messes to clean up, kids to transport, etc., etc. You don't know my life. You're right, I don't. But choosing the good per- portion is the difference between joyfully serving your family and others and growing bitterness or frustration in your serving your family. And husbands, you can help your wives. You can can help your wives by, I don't know what, but get creative. Let her have 30 minutes before the kids get up and you stay and change the first dirty diaper. You get to put the kids in the high chair. Put them to bed. Give her a break so that she can choose the right portions. Friends, help your friends. Let's help one another create margin to make the first thing first. It might be okay to let the dishes sit in the sink. It might be okay to let the wet laundry sit in the washing machine for two days before it goes in the dryer and have your kids complain about the smell of mildew. (laughs) And then you can tell your kids, honey, that's the smell of being with Jesus. (laughs) Martha was preparing a feast for Jesus and the other guests, but she had neglected to feast on the living word. And feasting starts with tasting. And the more we taste, the more we're going to want. The psalmist says that taste and see what? The Lord is good. 
in the same way, like I didn't eat beets for the first 30 years of my life. And my wife said, just taste them and see that they're good. They're good. (laughs) Jonathan Edwards described the relationship between the spiritual good enjoyed in fellowship with Christ and the thirst for more that it produces. He says this, spiritual good is of a satisfying nature. And for that reason, the soul that tastes and knows its nature will thirst after it and a fullness of it, that it may be satisfied. And the more he or she experiences and the more he or she knows this excellent, unparalleled, exquisite, and satisfying sweetness, the more earnestly we will hunger and thirst for more. And I'd be remiss if I skipped over the very last thing that Jesus said. He said, Mary has chosen a good portion which will not be taken away from her. Even in our anxious, distracted, complaining, serving hearts, Jesus is patiently and lovingly and gently beckoning you to come and sit and drink and eat from the well of life, the bread of life. Clean homes, nice things, comfortable furniture, it's all going to pass away. It's important stuff. It's good stuff, but it's going to pass away. Education, careers, promotions, all of our human ambitions and interests, wealth, power, opportunity, all of it will pass away when the trumpet sounds. But what remains is God and his people and the word of God. So I'll close with this. When we continually order our lives and prioritize the good things that are driven by the tyranny of the urgent, rather than the one necessary thing, you will hit a wall. And some of you have already hit that wall. However, and this is a money-back guarantee, you will experience increasing joy, less complaining, and diminishing bitterness when you choose to prioritize the good portion the one necessary thing, sitting at his feet, listening and learning and worshiping. Amen? Let's pray. God, we bless you, and we thank you that, um, that you've given us your word and, um, and that we know that it's by feasting on your word, first tasting it and seeing that you're good, and what gives us a, a greater and greater appetite for more to feast upon it. And Lord, you've given us people to serve. You've called us to love others as we love ourselves. Our closest neighbors are right in our home. And we don't want to neglect serving them. But God, I pray that you would help us uh, prioritize the one necessary thing. Would you um, help us help one another? God, in just speaking life and reminding one another that we can find deeper joy and satisfaction and peace when we are, uh, have a uh, 
a consistent diet of time with you. We love you. We thank you for your patience with us. We thank you that your mercies are new. We thank you that you will never leave us nor forsake us and that you love us the same on our worst complaining, anxious, distracted day as you do when we are doing everything um, perfect. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.